This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's December 7th. It is Wednesday. We welcome you to Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks here with you. In just a second, Dr. Lise Gotell, a professor of uh, women's and gender studies, is going to join us from Halifax. We appreciate her checking in. She's been doing some work uh, out east, in particular, uh, recently in Ottawa, talking about the National Association of Women and the Law's involvement uh, in the Violence Against Women Working Group. This, of course, has, I shouldn't say of course, but this has to do with Bill C-21, the gun control bill that we've been talking about. And that is the subject center stage in this week's edition as well of seriously our podcast project Sapria Devetti and myself we push that out every Wednesday morning bright and early uh, you get a half hour a week where Sapria and I cut through the noise of the national stories making what we deem to be the most significant news and in this case it is C21 the episode gunning for compromise you can let us know what you think when you check it out anywhere you get your podcasts and by the time you hear this on Real Talk, it'll probably be available and uploaded on our YouTube channel as well. You can check out all the details at seriouslypod.com. A little later on in the show, we're going to talk to some, some research scientists uh, out of uh, there's a research professor, a researcher out of the University of Calgary that have been doing extensive um, studies of, of, of sport. And of course, with the World Cup going on right now, there are soccer implications. There are obviously hockey implications as well when we talk about sexism, some of the issues that have been plaguing Hockey Canada, the scandal that just had the doors blown off that national organization this year. Dr. Michael Keeler, Dr. Gabriel Notfail will join us a little later on in the show. We've got a great email from Neil that I received. Uh, I've, we've, we've solicited your take on the, 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 this national debate about guns in Canada. It's it's much different than the debate in the United States, isn't it? But not entirely. And I've had that reiterated to me with a couple of uh, tweets that I've put out, some of the comments I've received from Canadian gun owners. I've appreciated them as they've uh, fueled a more informed conversation. Most of them, not all of them. Neil's email is the exact type of correspondence we look for. It's thoughtful. He digs into his perspective. He provides us some relevant background. And I give you my word we're going to read that before the end of the show today plus we're going to take you out of the mountains uh, every time every wednesday we get to go out to the mountains johnny oh, I love it my jasper memories and our friends at tourism jasper have come up with a, a great idea i thought for this time of year yeah they've got three perfect gifts uh, for the person in your life that is most difficult to buy for yeah and they all have the opportunity to get you out to jasper national park so if they gonna, like the outdoors it's easy though, it's right? nice and easy and then of course we have to talk about what I came across in a big box store. I saw. Just yesterday. Did you see this tweet that I pushed out? You want to put this photo up on the screen so, so we can show everybody? Before that's... you sent me this, my wife sent me this the day before. <laughs> she saw it as well. And uh, her, her <laughs> thoughts on the KFC 11 herb and spice fried chicken scented fire log. She uh, says the only thing she wants to smell around the holidays is apple cider, cinnamon and pine, not uh, 11 herbs and spices. That's this. Yeah, I find I find that hard to believe that that uh, that in your plant based household you guys aren't <laughs> going to be burning chicken chicken flavored <laughs> fire logs. We've got a lot of people chiming in on this. I threw it out on Twitter. You can follow me at Ryan Jesperson. Carly says everybody got one of these in their stocking at my family Christmas a couple years ago. She says the packaging is coated to smell like chicken. But the actual log is just compressed paper. Doesn't smell like anything. It's all oh. chicken hype. 
I was okay. going to say, do, you, do your fingers get all greasy when you're loading this into I the wonder. Fireplace? I wonder. After you load it in, yeah, you lick your fingers just like you do with the chicken. I don't know. Uh, a girl named Carl chimes in, says, I bought this for a few people last year. Uh, my brother is celiac and can't have KFC anymore, so he got a kick out of being tortured. Uh, Amy is just like me, both disgusted and intrigued, which I thought kind of nailed it. Uh, Amy, Amy Langer has been a great friend of the show, says you're just discovering this. She says, I highly recommend you buy one for shits and giggles. And uh, Eon says, under no circumstances, open this inside your home. It will smell of KFC for ages. Speaking from experience, mm-hmm. they say that like that's a bad thing. That's what I'd be afraid of. Is it getting all into the, the drapes and everything? And then <laughs> <laughs> that might be the point. <laughs> you know, when you drive by like a McDonald's or a K, it's it's oh, my God, it's the lure. Right. And then having that smell in your house for weeks. After that's the, the whole point, isn't it? Isn't that why people would buy something like this? 100%. The exact reason why? I think that's exactly why. Lisa Gotel is coming up in 90 seconds. We wanted to let you know that the holiday sales are continuing right now at McBain Camera. There are six locations. You can visit them in person or you can shop from the comfort of your own home right now at McBainCamera.com. You can save up to $450 on Canon cameras and lenses during McBain's holiday sale, including... Uh, saving 100 bucks on that sleek, lightweight Canon EOS R10. This is a fantastic unit for 15 frame per second continuous shooting, lightning fast autofocus. So you're shooting, I don't know, your kids going bonkers on Christmas morning or sports or wildlife or whatever the case may be. You can pick up the Canon EOS R10 for just $13.29.99 at McBain right now and get a free Roots Messenger bag. Absolutely beautiful in that charcoal gray color. Uh, you can check out McBainCamera.com to see amazing deals on Canon gear, including as well the EOS R5, the R6, the Rebel SL3, and much more. Remember that all purchases at McBain are backed by a 30-day price protection, which allows you to shop with confidence this holiday season. You're not all of a sudden going to find a better deal and, and get screwed out of your hard-earned money. You know, you're guaranteed the lowest price at McBain, where you can create to inspire. Also, big shout out to our friends at Park Power. They're powering our hashtag, Real Talk RJ, this show and every show. They're not going to hide the reality. They're not going to try to pretend like you're not going to be using more electricity or natural gas these days. This time of year, the days are shorter, the nights are colder. But why not pay as little as possible? That's the goal that they're putting in front of you as your friendly local utilities provider. If you bundle their services, You're going to save money on admin costs. Plus, you might be surprised at what the little guy here can give you. Move away from the big corporation. Go to the family-owned Park Power. You'll find that it pays in more ways than one, including the promo code 2022-REALTALK. It'll save you $70 off your first bill, and this might light a fire under you. Uh, Just about three weeks left to use that promo code, so today is a perfect day to bring your business to Park Power. It's also a great day to think about where you're at with your renewable energy goals. Enter Kubi Energy into the chat. At kubienergy.ca, you'll be able to learn more about the average solar panel system. When we're talking the average Canadian home, you're talking like 12 to 25 grand. The price has come down. Reliability's gone way up. I mean, the lifespan of these panels right now, about 30 years. And there's some myth busting to check out on their website as well. You know, a lot of people, for example, think that in the winter months, your solar panels are useless. That is a story from 10 years ago. The advancements are significant. You know, you don't have to pack your basement with batteries. That's all old school thinking. Kubi's on top of the latest developments. You can check out their blog link 
Get your frequently asked questions covered at kubienergy.ca. Yesterday, the entire country uh, mourned the loss of 14 innocent lives, women, uh, mechanical engineering students in particular that were gunned down, that were killed in an anti-feminist mass shooting at Montreal's Ecole Polytechnique on December 6th, 1989. We talked about it on this show. Politicians were talking about it across the country. Advocates, intellectuals, people that are working on the front lines of uh, preventing violent attacks like this, in particular, domestic violence and other gun-related crimes. Dr. Elise Gotell is a professor in the Department of Women and Gender Studies, uh, University of Alberta, who's dedicated her academic career to improving the experience of survivors in the criminal justice system. Uh, she's a member of the National Steering Committee of the National Association of Women and Law, and she chairs the Violence Against Women Working Group. Uh, over this past week, as mentioned earlier, she was in Ottawa discussing, in part, the NAWL submission on the federal gun control bill, that's C-21. She joins us live from Halifax today. Wonderful to have you back on the show. Thank you for making time for us uh great to see you ryan uh, people that follow you on twitter at lee's got uh, saw some of your reflections yesterday on the anniversary of that horrific mass shooting in, in montreal how did you observe it personally and did it resonate any differently this year considering the national conversation that we're having on gun control <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I always like to think about that slogan that uh, feminists came up with just after the, the Montreal massacre, uh, first mourn, work for, and then work for change. And, and that's something that I think that we have to, you know, keep in mind on the anniversary. So I always think of that, and I always uh, challenge myself to, to work for change. And it, that's why I, I get involved with and support organizations like the National Association of Women in the Law. I, I was at a meeting uh, this weekend, um, and it is an organization that has been working on violence against women for the past 35 years. What sort of progress have you seen, like with regards to meaningful progress over those you know, the number of years, at least that you've been involved? Right. I mean, you know, I do think that the, the, the national conversation is, is changing. So we've seen a real reckoning, for example, around sexual violence. And I think, uh, you know, you're going to have a discussion later. I wish I could be around for that, the, about the Hockey Canada scandal. And, you know, it, it's quite possible that, that this is hockey's Me Too moment. So I think we're seeing a changing national conversation around around sexual violence in particular, perhaps not so much, though, around domestic violence. And unfortunately, too many things have, have just simply not changed. We've seen uh, more conversation. We've seen changes in law. But when we get down to the ground, uh, you know, the, the, the rates of domestic violence and sexual violence are just as high now as they were several decades ago. Um, and, and also the organizations like uh, the shelters and uh, sexual assault centers that are working on the front lines of, of this crisis are, are very, very underfunded. You know, I was talking just last week to uh, Mary Jane James from the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton, and, and she mentioned that their waiting list for counseling is 12 to 14 months right what? now. Uh, thousands of women and children are being turned away from our shelters in Alberta every year. So 
way too much has not changed, you know. And the other thing that I just have to mention is that that organizations like shelters are staffed by by women who are poorly paid. They haven't had raises in eight years. There's a huge turnover because of that. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's that has not changed. It hasn't changed in 40 years. And so as a society, we need to be doing better on this. Isn't it strange that like when, when we look at some of the the callings, like not even really jobs, they're callings, I think, uh, that that we rely on in our society, like shelter workers, for example, that, that are that are assisting yeah. typically women and children um, that are fleeing domestic violence. Or it could be people working on the front lines in, in harm reduction type situations, supervised consumption and the like. It could be, um, I think, of people like when we look at the elder care abuse scandals that we saw across the country, in particular over the past few years in Ontario in particular, but not limited to there, obviously. And a lot of the workers that are, that are in those types of centers, these are oftentimes our, our fellow citizens that are that are working in the most stressful, imaginable circumstances, and and they're oftentimes the least compensated. I mean, a lot of people in these types of situations uh, are, are earning minimum wage or right around there. It's, it's something I think we need to have a bigger conversation about because on one hand, I understand people say, well, you can't just. I was talking to this somebody about you know ambulatory care in the province or, or first response paramedics, how long it's taking them to get to calls. A firefighter says to me, he goes, I, I don't think you can just throw money at the problem. He says, I think it's bigger than just throwing money at the problem. But in some circumstances, money is one of the solutions. <laughs> Funding yeah. is one of the solutions. I mean, that's 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 unacceptable that it would take someone, uh, a survivor of sexual assault, as an example, over a year to line up a conversation with a counselor. I mean, how do we expect anybody to make any progress there? Exactly. And, you know, you have to, you know, understand that that safe has 12 counselors. They each see five uh, clients every day. Wow. So that's a lot of women. And it's still, I mean, you know, the rates are, are just, just so bad. But yeah, I mean, you're pointing to a really important problem. You know, a lot of this is, is so-called caring work. It's a kind of work that we, you know, expect women to do either for no pay or for low pay. And that's got to change, right? So, like, why, um, you know, why are uh, some of the trades, male-dominated trades, so well compensated compared to this kind of work, which is crucial, um, it's highly skilled, and really, honestly, without better pay, um, these organizations are not going to be able to to retain uh, the, the the skilled women who work in, in these jobs. It, and it's, you know, we have to have this conversation. It's just, uh, also we need governments to be taking leadership. These are our social problems and pushing this problem down onto the backs of, you know, low paid women workers or volunteer workers. It, it It's just not going to change anything. Governments need to be taking leadership. You know, a few, a few years ago, Justice Canada did a study and it estimated that the annual costs of, of violence, uh, gender-based violence, is in the neighborhood of $12 billion a year. Let's invest in this problem. 
Can you talk to us a little bit? I mean, when we talk about Bill C-21, there are so many angles that we can look at this from. I mean, some people are going to want to talk about sports shooting. Some people want to talk about handguns. Some people want to talk about protecting their rural properties. And they have valid points there. Some people are hunters. Some people are victims of gun violence. Some people are et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the context of your involvement and, and what you were doing in Ottawa and and the submission that the National Association of Women in the Law made in the context of of Bill C-21, can, can you take us into it and give us a couple things to think about as, as we as civilians sort of try to form our opinions on this gun control bill? Right. I mean, that, that gun control bill is, first of all, it's super complicated. It's mm-hmm. a large bill. There are many parts of the bill. And, um, you know, the organization, it's, it's called Polysusuvien. It's an organization that represents many of, of a women's organization representing many of the survivors of the massacre. Polysusuvien has been taking the lead on, uh, on trying to get into law a ban on the kinds of, the kinds of guns, the kind of guns specifically, which is still legal, actually, um, uh, and the sort of guns that that were used in the the uh, Montreal massacre. So what this bill does, first of all, is that it does fulfill the liberal promise to define those assault style semi-automatic weapons, the kind that were you the kind of the kind of gun that was used in the Montreal massacre. So you know, here we're talking about um, more specifically uh, for people like me who don't know anything about guns, the kind of guns where you don't have to change a magazine and you, you just press a, the the trigger and the the gun will continue shooting, right? So that's what we're talking about here, and that's what Polysysuvien in particular has been engaged in in trying to ban. Um, but in addition, this bill really is also trying to um, trying to get at some of the links between gun violence and and domestic violence. You know, when we think about gun violence, we're often you know thinking about you know gang violence and you know sh- urban shootings and so on. But but you know the fact of the matter is that guns are a huge factor in domestic violence. And they're a risk factor for femicide. So the organization that I work with, uh, the National Association of Women in the Law, and and just to be clear, I'm not a spokesperson for the organization. I chair their Violence Against Women working group and was involved in in the production of this bill, but I'm not a spokesperson. So I'm I'm speaking for myself about their submission. But their submission really is about those connections between uh, gun violence and domestic violence. Now, we need to think about gun violence in a gendered way. So very few women are, are, are licensed gun owners, um, but women are twice as likely as men to be either threatened by or to be the victim of, of a gun assault. So it is, it is gendered, and we need to be thinking about the links between uh, domestic violence and, and gun violence. And the bill does try to do that. So, for example, the bill says that if you, um, if you have committed domestic violence, on that basis, uh, the chief firearms officer can revoke your gun license, Right. So, um, uh, or if you've been subject to a protection order, 
um, your, your gun license can be suspended. Now, what our submission is doing is trying to get into those provisions of the bill and to make them stronger. So, for example, the bill uh, doesn't define domestic violence, and we believe that it needs to have a clear definition of domestic violence, particularly because, in part, it's the chief firearms officers that are going to be re required to interpret it. And they don't have a lot of uh, experience with um, domestic violence, right? Um, uh, and in addition, there's another provision of the bill that says that uh, it's called the red flag provision that allows anyone to go to uh, a judge uh, and uh, request, uh, apply for an emergency protection order against someone you fear will be using gun in, in, a, in a violent crime. But like currently, you can just call the police and and raise this, and it's their job to investigate this. Um, and we're afraid that that you know going to a judge and requesting a protection order isn't really practical. It's not, it, and it's also kind of risky for um, someone who's being subjected in particular that. Yeah. to domestic violence. So those are the, the kinds of the provisions of the bill that we're particularly interested in. But it's Pauli Sousouvien that has been really taking the lead on, you know, the ban on on semi-automatic weapons. Mm. So maybe the oh gosh, I don't even know if I mean what I'm about to say. I was going to say maybe one of the best things that could ever happen to Pauli Sousouvien was this ridiculous. I mean, this deplorable kind of promo code uh, thing that Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights put out. And the reason I say that is because it it put Pauli Sousouvien on the radar of so many people where I think it may not have been before, not diminishing the work that they've been doing, the advocacy they've been doing, but a lot of, I mean, myself included, Lisa, I'd never heard of them. Uh, and I'm reading into this. I see this promo code. I mean, I haven't really pulled any punches on it. I think it's, it's unbelievable uh, what they've done. I mean, the optics of it just, it's, it's gross. Uh, but, but yeah. I wasn't familiar with the group before. And I think that that has put it on people's radar. I, I, I don't even know if there's anything that you want to say about that promo code story. It's, it's just it's so it's just so ridiculous. Uh, the insensitivity of it, the, the kind of the gross nature of it. I was left, you know, short of words, which rarely happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, people have used disrespectful, disgusting to describe this. I mean, and you know, to be clear, like it is a marketing it, 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 it they were very like this is a marketing ploy by this organization sure. it's being deliberately provocative they're you know trying to sell gun merchandise clothing uh using using this promo code i i think it's kind of like the equivalent of using a, a george floyd name to sell mm. some kind of merchandise it's 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 just awful um, but maybe you're right. Maybe it is the case that um, this has raised awareness uh, among people who might not have been following uh, the de the debate around gun control and the activism of Polysystevien. Um, you know that organization has been primarily active in Quebec. It 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 um, is a francophone organization its websites in french so yeah i mean you know it's quite possible that this controversy has has raised some awareness uh around their their work um but i mean gee you know the you're going to be talking about the the hockey canada scandal later but there's a also there's that link between between Polly and uh, um 
and uh, you know this act of disrespect and and hockey because of course you know Carrie Price put up that Instagram post um, uh, you know speaking in favorable terms about about that promo code Polly uh, with himself in you know assault style uh, um, or dressed in camo I should say so and you know the he he first claimed that you know he 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 really hadn't known about about the Montreal massacre I mean. Yeah, that, that that that's incredible. The man, this this is a solemn occasion that is marked every year in in Montreal. I mean, I don't know how someone who plays uh, for the the Canadians knew nothing about this, and it just goes to show that hockey players live in a kind of you know celebrity elite bubble. Um, but you know that that was that was awful, right? So I don't know. It's yeah, it's disrespectful. Yeah, disgusting. Yeah, Supri and I, we get into it and seriously, it just came out today, and I, I kind of go on this big thing of I like you know, and Supriya says she wants to be clear. She goes, I'm not. She says I'm not. I'm not the type that says athletes need to you know stay in their lane or whatever. She says she feels like it's it's okay yeah. for him to share his opinion. I think he got duped. To be honest with you, I think he got taken advantage of. I think that somebody got in his ear. I think he there's a very good chance that he, that he's ignorant about it. I certainly don't speak for him. I don't know him, but I just felt like the, to for a guy like that of that stature in Montreal. He will be a Hall of Famer. He's one of the great all-time yeah. Montreal Canadians without a Stanley Cup, but still. Um and 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 to put his neck out there like that a couple of days before December 6th in right in the middle of a controversy, it just made you know, you talk about people that expend their social capital like it made no sense for him to do that. And I think if he had somebody in his corner that actually cared about him and cared about his reputation and understood where the national conversation is at and understood the, the pros and the cons list of stepping up to support that type of thing, there's no way in hell that, I mean, you look at least, I mean, I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like hockey players are the most boring interviews of any professional athletes around. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they, they never get controversial. They never get, I mean, maybe the odd one, but, but yeah, that one just, it just didn't make sense for me. Um, I'm not necessarily going to bat for Carey Price. I just thought that, I mean, it's just, it, it, to me, you live 13 years in Montreal as, as, as one of the, the, the great goaltenders to ever play for that franchise. Like, are you telling me that they never had a home game on December 6th? They never paused for a moment of remembrance. There is never a moment of silence. I don't believe it. And uh, it's just, it's like, I mean, you and I, you know, we both call Edmonton. I think you're still calling Edmonton home, right? Yeah, you're still, aren't you? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just I mean, out like, looking, so, looking after my sick dad. Oh, so. well, thank you for making time yeah. for us. But imagine, imagine somebody that lived 15 years in Edmonton saying they'd never heard of the tornado. You know, I mean, it just yeah. wouldn't, you, you just wouldn't be able to wrap your mind around. It, it just wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, surely to God, this guy could be making some more productive use of his time while he's out on injury, right? So, yeah. um, you know, and, and great that the Canadians are going to sponsor scholarships for so-called underprivileged girls to take STEM camps. But um, I think maybe a little more is is needed here. Uh, I, I I don't know what that would be. You know, somebody suggested maybe the the some of the <clears throat> that that they should be devoting some of their fifty fifty 
funds to violence against women organizations that that might be a, a, a better way of marking this sure and to be quite honest trying with to you, rectify this i should say yeah I that stuff's a drop in the bucket like they, they could do that easily yeah. they could easily do that when you're when you're paying your top players 11 million bucks a year you can find some dough to uh, people are, don't 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 at me about budgets and yeah. all that kind of stuff um yeah well, I, you know that's that's probably many times the 11 million dollars is probably many times the budget of your average uh, uh, a shelter or oh, sure. crisis center, right? So, sure. yeah. Hey, it's great to see your face. Uh, I know that uh, there's a lot of pulls on your time right now. And of course, uh, family obligations as well. We appreciate your expert opinion on this. Thanks for making time for us from Halifax. No worries. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, Thanks for having it. the conversation. Oh, of course. Right. Absolutely. That's Dr. Lise Gotell. I encourage you to give her a follow on uh, Twitter at Lise Gott. That's L-I-S-E-G-O-T. Uh, man, comments like this in the live chat piss me off. Tim says, you know, LOL. This was like LOL. Like we're talking about, God, we're talking about people getting murdered, man. Uh, we're talking about domestic violence, people fleeing violent situations, trying to save their lives of themselves and their children, getting shot. Uh, and this guy's LOLing. Uh, so number one, fuck yourself. Uh, but he says, this woman's out to lunch. You know, if a human wants you, they will get you. A restraining order is a piece of paper. Okay, well, I guess we should just give up then, Tim, right? Because the restraining order is just a piece of paper. And if someone wants you, they're going to get you. So I guess we'll just let the laws of the jungle play out. Right? So Tim doesn't have to surrender his assault rifle. Is that it? (laughs) He says, take guns away now and the next butter knives. I mean, these are the, you know, these are the, the sort of unproductive, immature, ignorant, childish contributions to the debate that I don't think further it at all. If a human wants you, they will get you. Thank God you're not a 911 operator, man. Let me guess, not a counselor. Tim, not a counselor. The new handle for when he chimes in on Real Talk conversations. You can let us know what you think about this. I want to get to this uh, email in just a second from Neil, and we've also got two guests ready to chime. I mean, isn't this interesting that we didn't? We don't necessarily plan shows like this. This isn't a themed episode, so to speak. But we're going to talk to two researchers that have been doing deep dives into some of the culture of sport. We want to, as we promise you, that these conversations continue. I mean, the Hockey Canada scandal—that uh, story's not gone anywhere. And there's a World Cup of football, of soccer angle on this as well. Our conversation there coming up too. Uh, And these are presented by sponsors that believe in the importance of informed dialogue. (laughs) They believe in the importance of educating ourselves to to better ground our perspectives. That includes the team at Athabasca University. It's Canada's open university. Now, what's so different about AU? Uh, The experience is different from other universities by design because they're more accessible, more flexible, more equitable, more personalized for everybody. It's sure to have something that meets your needs at Athabasca University, meets your ambitions, fits your lifestyle. You can get a Canadian education online with AU no matter where you live. That's right, your your tablet, your laptop, that's your access to AU. And if you need to take some time off, family vacation, maybe an illness in the family, maybe you just need a mental health break, maybe you need to shut it all down, Johnny, close the laptop, sign out of your Netflix, 
and go for long walks in the woods. I recommend that twice a week. Athabasca University will be there for you when you get back with their world-class accredited online programs and courses. You can check out how AU works today at AthabascaU.ca. This is a huge month at Friesen Brothers. They've got their Christmas dinner boxes ready for order at Friesen.com right now. F-R-E-S-O-N.com. Make it a December to remember the Ukrainian-inspired Christmas dinner box. You can order it online, prepared by chefs and easy to reheat. They feed up to four people. So if you have 40 people coming over, you just order 10 of them. It's that easy. Uh, Last night, we were able to try one out in advance. Mm -hmm. They wanted to make sure we could talk about them in an informed fashion. I have to tell you, there is an inclusion in that Christmas the Ukrainian-inspired dinner box that has been flying under my radar, and it's <laughs> yeah. actually the star of the show. It's the carrots in a creamy dill sauce. Ooh. The carrots in the creamy dill sauce. I and mean, we were having, they had the lazy cabbage rolls and the turkey and the, the homemade cranberry sauce. I mean, it was just fantastic. But the carrots. I was you're, like, what is with these carrots? You're appealing to a guy who loves his carrots. So... Was that a uh, was that a play on words there? Was I appealing <laughs> to the guy? All right, like well. Freezing.com. I thought that was pretty good, Johnny. Uh, kudos to you on that one. And later today, I'm excited. I'm actually be heading over. I didn't tell you this to headquarters, the Edmonton-based headquarters of Apex Automation. I want to I want to go get a sense of what they're working on right now. What's really cool about this place? They do a lot of engineering, fabrication, automation across Canada. The U.S., they're attracting skilled professional engineers from literally all across the country. I met uh, two PNGs. They just moved here from China to come work for Apex because they love what they're seeing, specifically in coding. That's a big part of automation, of course. Well, Apex develops systems. They test them all out on their home turf at their head offices so there aren't costly delays when they're installing on site. That is one of the many reasons why more and more people are trusting Apex Automation. When it comes to their automation needs, you can check them online, apexautomation.ca. We'll check in with our researchers uh, from the University of Calgary in just a second. We're going to talk about toxic masculinity, misogyny in sports, and how it's actually playing out, impacting the national organization Hockey Canada, where it's evident at the FIFA World Cup. Is it maybe been flying under our radar? This is fascinating stuff and a real reality check. But first, I wanted to get to Neil's emails. Uh, he wrote this in, uh, this uh, two cents on guns, he calls it, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. He says, I grew up in this city, uh, but I was raised and taught to hunt. And I'm really thankful for that. Uh, I wouldn't have been given that sort of field-to-table experience uh, that's typically lip- uh, limited to livestock or farm kids, so to speak, otherwise. It gave me great respect for the animals that I eat, uh, a real observation of firearm safety, and, and, and insight into the Canadian tradition of hunting Uh, i was actually made fun of in school all the time for guns and hunting that city kids they saw no need for it you know meats found in the store and even though they loved action movies like terminator 2 or independence day and where the good guy uses a gun (laughs) i found them all to be hypocritical but i just absorbed that mockery i found that you can't debate people that don't care to learn from the opposing side And Neil says, I'm proud to be a gun owner. Uh, I've never seen a more diverse group of people. Actually, we're highly regulated. We go through police checks, you know, doctors, dentists, engineers, farmers, laborers, women, all religions, sexual orientations at the gun range. doesn't matter who you are. And as long as you're polite, everybody's your friend. I've never seen any prejudice at play at the range. I see people with a a love of the hobby sharing a a common interest. He says, did you know, isn't this interesting in contrast to what uh, Dr. Gotell just said, Neil says, women are actually the fastest growing segment of owners in the handgun market. Uh, And new Canadians are often excited to use tools they were not allowed in their home country. 
Uh, Neil says, I reload cartridges because I uh, like the science of ballistics. I like learning about air resistance coefficients. I like designing cartridges and testing them to see if it performs accurately. It's a complicated science, and some of my best advice comes from welders, electricians, machinists, and people from all walks of life. Now, why am I saying this, says Neil? It's because for years, gun owners just did our thing. That We were always the punching bag for bad jokes. But other than that, nobody really cared. The RCMP regulated the industry and owners and life went along per usual. He says the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, loves wedge issues. Uh, my opinion is he's done more to divide Canada than any prime minister in past. He, he's pitting environmentalists against oil workers, gun owners against anti-gun lobbyists, the, the provinces against one another. He just can't seem to help himself. Uh, this story, you know, a politician's number one job is to get elected and number two to stay elected uh, like the scorpion or the frog. It just seems to be his nature. This current liberal government, to me, seems like it's just beating on gun owners. You know, they did they, they did that order in council to ban those AR style firearms that are, you know, so dangerous to society, I guess, that they've all got to be taken away. That was in May a couple of years ago. And to this date, they haven't done anything about it. Which, to be quite honest, says Neil, I'm thankful for because it was my legally acquired property. The RCMP was aware that I had it. They had to allow the purchase. Uh, but if these items were so dangerous, wouldn't have they have been making moves to take them away more quickly? And instead of telling all owners just to keep them in their basement locked up? You know, Bill 21 was called the handgun ban. And I've been trying to watch some of the debate. It's been painfully obvious that there doesn't seem to be facts at play to decide which handguns require to be banned. And these anti-gun groups keep using states from the U.S., which to me is not relevant in a conversation about Canada. You got to be trained in Canada. You got to be vetted to own a gun. And when this CCFR, the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights that we've been talking about on the show, Neil says when they were questioned by the liberals, all they did was quote like mean tweets. They didn't try to prove anything why the bill would make society better and safer. He says, Kerry Price, the goaltender for the Habs, you know, I mean, days before the, the, the anniversary of that tragic shooting at a cold polytechnic posted that picture with him hunting, you know, stating that he wasn't the problem. Neil says, from what I saw there and from the actual text on the post, it doesn't seem to be trying to take away from the tragic event. It, it's, it's him saying he supports the CCFR. Neil says, now, in my opinion, the CCFR made a mistake responding uh, to that uh, poly Twitter feed th that prompted the entire promo code debacle. You know, he says it, it, it's Twitter. It, it's a dumpster fire. And he says, it seems to me that that advocacy group, Pauli Sassouvien, puts up misleading stats. And it seems to me that the CCFR is trying to correct them. I'm not excusing the CCFR for its mistake, but it also seems like they do a lot of good for the gun community. And it seems like the media, even you, Ryan, wants to put them through the ringer, even for everything that they've done, uh, just for that one mistake. He says, I honestly believe that the prime minister added all the hunting rifles last minute just to wedge this issue more. And he says, and I think that it being added right before the anniversary of the tragedy is sickening. That this debate should be run on facts is my number one point. But now emotions are causing, causing sound bites. And he says, and I think that that's taking away from the national conversation. Neil says, as a gun owner, I want laws based on fact uh, for the good of all citizens. If something seems to be a problem, by all means, let's fix it. But it seems like if we fight back on this, we're being pigeonholed as dismissive of a tragedy. He says, I, I went to school at a technical institute. I saw women around me working or endeavoring to work in STEM. I will always remember these victims, and I will always support women in STEM programs. 
Neil says, I try really hard to be well-educated on issues. I respect people's opinions. I respect people's freedoms. And as a gun owner, it's hard because no matter what I say to some, I'm just a redneck hick. I'm still not sure if this is the right reply to your show that'll get people thinking that legal gun owners are not the problem. But if I don't start trying to stand up for my rights, I'm going to lose a hobby that I really enjoy. He says, I just wanted to give you my side to this gun debate. That from Neil. Neil, I appreciate it. And from Real Talkers, whether you agree or not, we'd be very interested in hearing your take, your opinion on what Neil put in front of us. Our next two guests have been putting in uh, months and months of research, extensive research into toxic masculinity, bullying, sexism, homophobia in men's sports. And they've recently published articles, which you can actually check out for yourself at theconversation.com. Uh, that address social activism and allyship, in particular in men's soccer and, of course, relating to the sexual abuse allegations in Canadian hockey, in particular uh, teams that had represented our country, national junior tournaments with Hockey Canada. Uh, Dr. Michael Keeler uh, was a high school English teacher, is now a research professor of masculinity studies and education at the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary. And his research addresses masculinity, sport allyship, homophobia in education. Meantime, Dr. Gabriel Not-Fail is a postdoctoral scholar of masculinity studies and education at the Workland School of Education, UFC. His research focus, masculinity, allyship, transgender discrimination, sports, and sports media. Uh, to the both of you, thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, really appreciate you checking in from the UK in particular, Doctor. Well, why don't we, why don't we talk about how this all came about? Dr. Notfail, maybe maybe for you first. How did this get on your radar? This is a um, obviously a, a sort of a specific area of study, but at the same time, there's, there's a lot of stuff to cover, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, sport, I mean, sport itself is a, is a really significant site where we see lots of issues of masculinity and gender playing out, like the ones that you've mentioned that often are, are lumped under the umbrella of toxic masculinity, where you know, specifically they're kind of talking about, um, you know, ideas and practices of kind of misogyny and uh, homophobia and transphobia that are really embedded historically in men's sports. And despite there being some uh, moves to sort of challenge that in and um, in men's the culture of men's sports, they do still remain very entrenched, and we've already seen that come to the fore in the issues that you've mentioned, like the the um, sexual assault allegations in with Hockey Canada, and then particularly at the minute with the World Cup in Qatar, lots of these issues have really come, you know, into the into the cultural conversation, to the public uh, conversation, to much more than they, they have done in, in, the, in the past. So for that reason, they're, they're really poignant things to be talking about right now. And you know, as people interested in gender and masculinities and, and in promoting allyship, sport is a really important site to think about those, those, uh, those trends and those issues, right? I'm grateful that we can have 
what we'll call sort of an overarching conversation and, and, and we'll cover a lot of subject matter. I think that the Hockey Canada story has been off people's radar to a certain degree. Not everybody, but most people just because the news cycle moves quickly. Uh, but Dr. Keeler, let the, the World Cup is happening as we speak. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the suitability of the venue of the, of the nation that's hosting in particular is what I'm talking about. But when we talk in the context of what this conversation or what your research is about, what are some of the red flags or major storylines that you're seeing out of the World Cup? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, I, I think what we see here, not unlike um, hockey, I mean, this sort of punctuates the way in which sport and gender play itself out, and in particular, masculinity. And so when we look at FIFA, we look at the World Cup, um, I, I think, you know, the, there's that whole uh, discussion around um, keeping politics out. And yet we all know that uh, the the way in which um, games are um, given to certain countries is political in and of itself. And so, you know, the idea that we shouldn't have social responsibility and activism um, as part of the platform intersecting with sport, I think is really telling in terms of how uh, sport organizations are trying to control um, a certain kind of narrative and, and trying to um, create a sense of, in this case, Qatar and and as a um, a place in which uh, sport and 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 sort of downplay uh, issues of inequalities and social injustices and you know as uh, Gabriel and I uh, said in our piece um, what we think is that this is a really damaging and damaged way in terms of. Um, telling athletes about what they can and cannot do when they see social injustices. I think of, uh, you know, some some very poignant moments. I think of like Jesse Owens, you know, winning Olympic gold in the 1930s in Hitler's Germany. And, and I think of, you know, like uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith in 1968 in Mexico City raising their, their fists, you know, black gloved fists in, in protest. But... Uh, you look at more recent uh, events, sporting events in particular, the FIFA World Cup and the Olympics, uh, to call a spade a spade, corrupt as hell, uh, in particular FIFA. I mean, people need only look at one of the most recent net Netflix documentaries about it, but there is zero tolerance for social activism. I mean, you look at even at the 2022 Men's FIFA World Cup Tournament, and the two of you write about this at theconversation.com. People can read it for themselves. I encourage them to. The Danish men's soccer team wants to, you know, uh, celebrate a message of human rights for all. Well, it's, 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 a, it's deemed a political message that contravenes FIFA regulations. Or, or, or Team England, right, including Captain Harry Kane and others, wanted to wear an armband that said one love on it. Too political for FIFA. I mean, it just gets to a point where you have to shake your head, uh, don't you? I mean, uh, like, you know, Dr. Not Fail, like, what can, I mean, do people just need to, I mean, I, I don't mean this seriously, but do people need to lower their expectations of some of the biggest sporting brands or organizers on planet Earth? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think people should, but I understand why people might <laughs> in, in the wake of that seeming inaction. But what you were talking about there, I mean, it really, it, it, what it highlights is just the, the, what the priorities are for organizations. For example, we've got FIFA who will clamp down on those messages, you know, human rights for all or promoting LGBTQ plus inclusion being deemed too political, right? And so the the priorities of, of organizations like that are, are clearly not 
about protecting the you know the rights of marginalized people and challenging injustices against women and and uh, lgbtq plus people in you know as well as other human rights but it also talks about shows about the priorities of athletes and themselves because there has to be some responsibility taken by the individuals as well despite the fact that there is this kind of um punitive regime <laughs> that comes from the top down um and you mentioned harry kane and other european countries wanting to wear the uh the, the one love armbands and then deciding not to once uh, fifa said that they would uh give them yellow cards or might give them yellow cards anyone that was wearing those. And so it shows that the, the you know, the priority for them is, is winning, right? It's, that's the kind of the culture in the sport is win, win at all costs. And so that being the case, when organizations like FIFA, um, you know, offer the potential for these kinds of sanctions, that's seen as too high a price to pay for sort of, taking a stand being an ally for LGBTQ plus people or uh, or women. And that's in stark contrast to a lot of the examples you were talking about earlier. You think about you know, Carlos and Smith with their raising their fists. That was a, a risky move and that actually cost them their athletic career. And that's not right, right? Athletes should be able to speak out. There shouldn't be that risk involved. But being an ally and taking you know, action on social injustice means needing to speak out and be active even when there are certain risks involved. And, you know, realistically, like getting a yellow card or, you know, an on-field caution shouldn't really be seen as too high a price to pay when we're talking about tackling, you know, misogyny, we're talking about tackling homophobia, which are rampant problems, not just in the host nation, in, in football itself, actually, men's football. Or soccer, I should say. Yeah, you, know, you call it whatever you like. We'll pick up on what you're putting down, <laughs> uh, Doctor Keeler. But it's it like you know, real talk here. When you when you start, you know, talking in athletics about toxic masculinity, you know that a portion of this listening audience, and a lot of people that are going to hear this, are going to go, "Oh, here we go, right here we go." All right, we're going to, you know, because I think that there's an understanding. And trust me, like the sports we're talking about, in particular hockey, I'm obsessed with hockey. I love hockey. I play it. I watch it. I've worked in hockey. I love it. Um, and I know, and I've been privy to conversations where people believe that, that, that if you start talking about these things that are very real issues, that you're going to start talking about softening the sport, that you're going to start talking about compromising the sport, that Canada is potentially going to surrender the, the, the stranglehold that it's had on all the gold medals if we start softening up our players and getting away from what's made us successful. So what's the counter argument to that? What does the research tell you? Well, I think, uh, Ryan, that's that's a, a good point. And I think oftentimes people do go to what are we going to lose in, in changing the culture of sport and uh, specifically think about hockey. There's always this sort of um, response from large audiences about we'll we'll not be as good as we once were as opposed to we actually might be better we actually by changing the culture by creating a much more inclusive culture for example by getting rid of um the racism and homophobia for example we can actually be better than we currently are but the the assumption that um and the argument is based in this is the way we've always been and look how good we've been um that sort of position doesn't acknowledge the fact that we can actually change um the ways that we promote hockey football soccer and 
and actually improve our pool of players and actually um, create a better sort of training ground, if you will, both for athleticism, but also for social responsibility and activism among athletes. So um, I, I think that's the way we have to look at sport and we have to remind ourselves that these cultures within hockey, football are created that we purposely promote and valorize certain ways of being athletes. And so to suggest that we're actually going to damage um, that sport culture by softening um, the ways uh, our athletes are on and off the pitch, I, I think needs to be more carefully considered because um, our research would so show that, you know, we actually can uh, create a greater benefit if we become more inclusive if we uh, promote different forms um, and of masculinity, for example, in hockey, and um, you know, allow people to have a voice and to be able to speak up without fear of being uh, marginalized by other um, team members. I would be curious to to get both your take and and of course you know let me use a hockey example but feel free to go from there wherever you like uh, you know a, a player like Luke Prokop he's a, a, a prospect a strapping tough defenseman uh, has played in the Western League and uh, a Nashville Predators prospect back on uh, in July of 2021 uh, via Instagram. Uh, he uh, announced, uh, I am no longer scared to hide who I am. He says, today I'm proud to publicly tell everyone that I'm gay. That was on July 19th of 2021. You can see it here. I'm showing it on my screen. He says, I wouldn't be able to do this without my amazing family, friends, my agents uh, who have known this about me and met with me and love and support every step of the way. He says, I may be new to the community, but I'm eager to learn about the strong and resilient people who came before me. And, and he's posted about, about it subsequently, for example, in October of that year on National Coming Out Day. He says representation matters. And he's posing with one of his, his hockey sticks, which is wrapped with pride tape, which was, of course was developed uh, out of Edmonton, Alberta, a really neat initiative. How significant is something like this in a sport as, as, as tough or as bro-y or as macho as hockey? Yeah, well, it's, it's, they're right. <laughs> it's right that representation is is very very important, and and it and it rightly deserves to be to be celebrated and and praised. Right, there's something that we do mention in the in the in, the, in one of the pieces, the, the piece around um, the World Cup is like the fact that this stuff is still so worthy of praise and and that, that requires so much courage, uh, you know, to come out in such a pro culture is is kind of further evidence, I guess, of the the, the difficulties of being um, you know, LGBTQ of not living up to those kind of uh, sort of sort of homophobic expectations of what it means to be a man. So it kind of yes, it deserves celebrating. It also points to like a the, 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 there's still an entrenched problem uh, with um, you know sexuality in men's in men's sport. So what do we do about it? Well, I mean, we need to think about what, what, what do we, there needs to be a, a big shift in the culture and the priorities. In yeah, but sport. like, I, and I agree with you, but like, how? Practically. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, practically, Ryan, I mean, what we are uh, witnessing, I think currently, if you think about Hockey Canada, is a real purposeful way of um, changing um, in terms of, if you think about the number, the report that just came out from Hockey Canada, 900 incidents of, um, you know, discrimination, um, many of which... 60% or so that were based on gender uh, and sexual orientation. So um, being more transparent about uh, what our culture, sport culture looks and sounds like, I think is one step in the right direction that we need to actually um, acknowledge what um, sport culture is like on the basis of um, what kind of incidents of discrimination actually exist there as opposed to denying um, that we have a problem in sport culture, which has been a long narrative. And so um, to your point, how do we do this? Well, we, we start by being very um, public and we engage um, I think, you know, in this case, thinking about referees and educating them about what does discrimination look like and how do you respond to discrimination and what are the consequences? I think, um, again, education being a key uh, foundation for not only um, the the referees, but I think also for um, parents, uh, which I, I believe are, are well and open to um, helping support players change the ways in which they promote um you know ways of being boys and men particularly in hockey culture mm. dr not fail i want to ask you this uh before we thank you both for your time your research focus uh in particular uh takes a look at transgender discrimination in sport and and i feel i don't know if i feel like i wonder if maybe that is an entirely separate conversation is that is that is that a conversation that exists on an island is it fair to suggest that the average citizen might acknowledge that they better understand the l the g than they do the t in LGBTQ, you know what I'm saying? Like, is, is there is there a, a lack of understanding and awareness around the real issues that transgender people, in particular athletes, face uh, that maybe uh, precludes or stands in the way of a better understanding of that specific area of your research? Yes. Yeah, that, that has a, a very unique um, <laughs> kind of um, set of circumstances around it, I guess. There's a very unique flavor to it when I have that conversation. Yeah. When I am talking about that side of the research, the reaction from audiences is very different to uh, the reactions that I get um, you know, when we're talking about this kind of thing. It's much more polarized. Um, so it is a very, very polarizing topic at the minute, like globally, right? But particularly in, 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 the, in the UK, in the US, right? And, and as well as in Canada, but particularly in those places, we're seeing a, a really drastic polarization around uh, when it comes to trans rights and um, and actually trans rights in sports is probably even more uh, even more kind of polarizing and controversial than 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 it is in, in the rest of society. It's a space where um, the kind of arguments for trans exclusion are much more kind of prevalent and people are much more willing to express them, uh, whereas there's a bit more of a taboo around that and a recognition of the need for inclusion in, in other aspects of um, of society. 
you know, an interesting contrast, I guess, to what we're talking about now is that that kind of entire conversation revolves around women's sport, right? It's trans women's participation that's um, really the, all of the media attention is on. Yeah. You know, if we're talking, if we were talking about it, that's what we would be talking about because, you know, generally people aren't as, um, you know, up in arms about the idea of trans men competing in men's sport. Yeah. I mean, if, if I can state it plainly, uh, at, at risk of stepping in one, I mean, the, 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 I can't say the general consensus, but when you look at the pushback, it's that trans women have a, you know, the understanding is that trans women have a physical advantage over other athletes competing in women's sports. And you don't hear the same pushback when it's the other way around, when it's trans men competing in, in admittedly more rare circumstances, right? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's the argument, yeah. And what, what do you it's tell a, what do you, what's the well, counter argument? Debate, I mean, do you believe that? Is, like, is that untrue or inaccurate? Well, the, well, to be honest, this is opening a, a whole conversation that requires its own segment. That's why people, that's why people say, download this show. What I'll say, this is a whole new segment that we need for this. But <laughs> yeah. basically, the, 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 um, it, clearly, there's, if someone's gone through male puberty, right, there, there is going to be some differences in physiology, right? But there's very little, surprisingly little, actual um, physiological testing on the effects of going through H- uh, hormone replacement therapy on physical uh, capabilities, right? And so there's there's research been done at Loughborough University, for example, which is uh, addressing that gap because it's it's a, a gap that a lot of people assume has been filled, but it but it hasn't. A lot of it is um, based. A lot of the assumptions are based on testing cisgender men and cisgender women with each other right mm. now i'm not a physiologist so i can't really speak to that i can't be <laughs> give you anything conclusive except that um all sports are different and require very different physical attributes so you can't have a blanket rule across all sports um and you know someone who was doing the physiological testing explained it to me in the fact of um some people bring up the fact that for example if you've got female pv you might have bigger bigger bone structure bigger heavier bone structure now, if you go through HRT and you've got less muscle mass, you're then trying to move a big, heavy frame or a bigger, heavier frame with less less propulsion, right? So in that sense, people actually lose certain amounts of power compared to cisgender women, right? So that that's like a very you know unscientific <laughs> explanation of a scientific thing. But the point no, I appreciate is, you're, you're, it, you're it's not as conclusive, and also it's very different sports sports. So depending on what attributes are needed for different sports you know then it needs to be looked at much more um you know much more rigorously and on a sport to sport basis and also from my perspective it needs to come from the point of view of the starting point is inclusion how can we make this an inclusive space because that's that's got to be the priority for me and we're, we're talking you know today about the need to tackle these kind of like issues of lgbtq plus people being excluded from men's sport and in this case women's sport and so if we're going to do that, there needs to be a a recognition that's kind of got to be the, the 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 drive. But of course, we need to look more into it, and and we can if you look up Loughborough Luff, University, it's doing this research that you can you can yeah, find out. More I about feel it. like, uh, I, and this is not to like I'm I'm not pretending like I think that uh, tr- transgender people just started to exist on planet Earth, but it does feel like a relatively new conversation. 
Um, and I think that part of that is because I think that the general public doesn't feel educated enough on it. And I also feel like talk shows are nervous to host these conversations. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I want to make a commitment to this audience and to the guests that appear on this show that will go there and that will bring on reputable guests that will be able to have gutsy conversations. And Dr. Keeler, I can tell by the way that your posture changed and the gleam in your eye when this conversation started going down this path that you are all for these types of uncomfortable conversations. In fact, I think we need more uncomfortable conversations, don't we? Yeah, most definitely. And and I, I agree with you. I mean, you did notice my gleam in my eye, but this this is exactly where I think we need to um, have more public dialogue. And as you've already said, Ryan, let's not um, steer away from this. I think only through better understanding, through promoting, um, you know, healthy, respectful sort of dialogue, that we can actually, you know, better support um, diverse athletes, and also we can we can start to create safer places. And again, as I said earlier, I mean, this is about intentionally promoting and supporting um, more inclusive um, sport arenas, uh, rather than falling back to the way it's always been. Uh, we've been talking to uh, that was Dr. Michael Keeler that you, you just heard and uh, really appreciate as well. Dr. Gabriel Notfield joining us from the UK, uh, both of them contributing authors to pieces that you can read in particular on the FIFA World Cup 2022 and the Hockey Canada scandal. You'll find them both at theconversation.com. And if you, you can find both of these expert voices on Twitter as well, uh, just check out the tweet that we sent out from our official account, Real Talk RJ, earlier this morning before the show went to our live stream thanks for making time for us both of you i suspect that our paths will cross again (laughs) pleasure thanks very much yeah you bet and real talkers we welcome your feedback on this uh there are so many things obviously to talk about i feel like sometimes john you have conversations like that and that was a cavalcade of yeah it's just just, like open a can open a can open a can open a can and and of course you could spend like you know um i I feel like shows in particular dr not fail was like he Mm -hmm. was like well that's kind of like a whole other thing and part of me goes like the the warning voice in my head Mm -hmm. is going are are we equipped to start having this conversation about transgender athletes in sport but but i think also you know, we call real talk, real life. Uh, people have these real kinds of conversations like at hockey arenas and at soccer fields and at home and at and tennis clubs and at home. And that's good. But like, I feel like even when you say something like toxic masculinity nowadays, people cringe, right? It's like yeah. on the right more than the left. But then on the left, if you use a word like woke, they cringe. And it's like all these words that are weaponized now. Yeah. And it's like when we're talking and trying to talk about toxic masculinity and we're all still learning, I'm still learning. Um, we're not trying to say like being a man is toxic. We're not trying to say being a good father or a good, uh, like, like a jacked up fireman going into a building and saving children and women is yeah. toxic. Masculinity is bad. Yeah. We're talking about like, and here's another, you know, another one of those flag words, like bro culture. And I know bros. I know guys who you would consider like bros or whatever. Do they have white sunglasses? <laughs> they wear Oakleys in the summer. And yes, they do have white trip, but they're not assholes. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not toxic. You can be a bro, but not toxic. You can be, you can be manly without, uh, there's this guy, I'll show a picture. There's this guy on uh, Instagram and TikTok. My wife loves him. Jacked up 
lumberjack guy he chops wood and every week or month he chops a bigger and bigger piece that's and his instagram he just chops wood he just chops wood oh, and, and you know women love it men love it we all love it <laughs> this is great this isn't toxic like we're not saying everything manly is toxic but you know like like i said i know bros and stuff and they're not the main thing is when it gets bad enough that you're infringing on someone else's happiness, someone else's rights. Safety. Like everyone should just be able to do it as yeah. long as you're not hurting children or you know you know what I mean. You're obeying the law. You should be able to be and do what you want. Well, and, you look and be at, happy. I mean, the story about the hockey Canada story is is of a uh, an, an enabling and permissive culture that that allowed for, encouraged, and covered up um, crimes sexual crimes uh, over a series of decades and and it's it's demanding a bigger conversation around the culture of sport and the culture of celebrity and and a whole bunch of other things that need to be taken seriously mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it you can't deny that, that, that i mean hockey canada people call it the hockey canada scandal it's not the hockey canada issue it's not the hockey canada flare up it is a scandal because it is a beloved national brand uh, under which crimes mm-hmm. against human beings uh, were perpetuated and covered up. And it's not just the boys. That's it's a fact. Like the agents, like, you know, you hear those rumors that maybe the agents told them, you know, when they're with girls, make sure you get on videotape them saying, like that whole thing, like the, the whole way we're approaching and handling all these situations is just... It's just wrong. It needs fixing. It needs huge fixing. Like, Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send us your thoughts on this. Obviously, this is a continuing conversation, right? I mean, every virtually everything on this show is. And uh, a lot of times that's prompted by our audience that, you know, someone's going to be listening to this while they're walking their dog. And, and, and this is going to resonate with you in a specific way. And uh, it was Neil that wrote in about gun control. Tomorrow, I'm going to be reading an email from Jenny. Uh, she's Jewish, and she's writing in about Kanye. And, like, it's it's a powerful, powerful message. But we understand that sometimes you walk with these things, and you take the time to reflect on them. And we want to know how our content, how what we talk about is is landing and resonating with you. You know, think of big strapping first responders. What about Tad Milmine, who yeah. came on the show with us? Like the you know, the uh, the Calgary police officer who's like out and proud. He's a proud gay man, and mm-hmm. the guy is a, like an anti-bullying advocate. He's a survivor of horrific circumstance. Tad was like, you, you can Google it. Just Google, Google Tad Milmine uh, Real Talk, and you can check out his interview on the show. Um, the guy was like literally locked in a cage when he was a kid and left in the basement, like literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, when you use the word survivor, this guy is a survivor, and he understands it and he understands discrimination and bullying and and now there he is in a in a very uh i mean i you know you look at not to say that there aren't like there haven't been you know women female police officers non-binary police officers many years of course there have been but you want to talk about like male dominated or broy professions mm-hmm. policing is one like i, you yeah, know, I, I, I of, don't think that that's a controversial yeah. statement we think of police we think of firemen we think of the bulky right? guy but then yeah. you also talk to people that work in policing and is it always the beefcake is it always the bouncer that you need showing up to the call mm-hmm. not always and nowadays especially with everything going on where you're going on wellness checks and, and you're having yeah. to deal with mental health issues like the big bulky beefy guy is <laughs> not really going to help these days right yeah no kidding not uh, that they don't help In certain situations. Uh, Leslie says, uh, men who are thoughtful, kind, clever, have a great sense of humor. Those are great traits. Toxic masculinity is not appealing. She says, I sure enjoyed this talk. 
Uh, Tracy says, I'd love to hear from well-educated young men on this topic. I like that comment. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. We're always looking for, uh, we're working on a roundtable. Um, I don't want to put a date on it yet because we're, we're waiting on one guest in particular, but we've been working on a, a roundtable around subtle sexism. And I think it's going to be great because the two panelists we have confirmed that are, that are like locked and loaded, ready to go, um, are, are working in professions where it is evident, where it impacts them on a daily basis. And I think that that's going to be a great conversation as well. Uh, Kimberly wants to know about items in the news. She wants to know my thoughts on 5 million bottles of unapproved Tylenol. Uh, this is a story. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, Kimberly. I've, I've just sort of scratched the surface on this one. This is the Alberta government. Premier Danielle Smith confirmed like any parent knows it's probably been on your radar that there's been a shortage, like a national shortage mm-hmm. of kids meds, basically, including, you know, t- kids Tylenol and Advil and all the like the fever meds that kids need. You can, um, you know, in particular, it's an issue, I think, for families with infants. You know, with with kids, do this is not medical advice. Do not take this as medical advice. Do not listen to me. But I know for a lot of parents, they say if you have like a five or six or a seven or an eight or a ten year old, you can like crush up an adult pill and use like half of it or something like that for kids. But for infants, it's a totally different ball game. And I know with so many kids sick across the country, it's been a real issue. And my understanding of this issue, again, I'm flying a little bit blind into the clouds here, which is a talk show host. You got to check yourself. I mean, unless you're a super popular talk show host with millions of followers, and then you don't have to care at all what you say no but but we care a little bit (laughs) and so my understanding is that some of this has had to do with different approval processes like health canada versus the fda and canada's had a hard time bringing in meds and it's not that easy and and shelves at stores and pharmacies have been empty or Mm -hmm. virtually empty for a long time and so daniel smith announcing yesterday that the government that the alberta government has has procured about five million bottles of of children's tylenol as i understand it but it's it's for some if something about it it's it's not approved by health canada Mm -hmm. um Number one, I think that uh, off the top of my head, and again, forgive me if I'm missing a main point here. Number one, I think it's a good thing that the government's going out and doing something about it to try to get meds for kids. Number two, I think this could be interesting and you wonder if it's another uh, intentional wedge. Maybe I'm just looking for a political storyline here or maybe it's legit. But if it's unapproved by Health Canada, then it allows a province like Alberta to put more pressure on the feds. I mean, you look at back at what happened around the vaccines when Canada was trying to procure vaccines, but because we didn't manufacture them on Canadian soil. Remember, we talked about that on the show we talked about you know uh in the intellectual security the developmental security of having our own labs and being able to do our own research and and develop our own products feels like an eternity ago doesn't it but what did the provinces do the provinces put a lot of pressure on the feds right at that time alberta premier jason kenny ontario's premier doug ford was outspoken about this and others i mean john horgan you remember the, the bc premier at the time was was hosting the the uh, first minister's conference all the other premiers and they were like calling out the feds and health canada saying we need more support we need more funding we need more attention to this the provinces and the feds have always done that dance uh when it comes to administering health care in particular um, and, uh, and so I think that this could be an interesting one if Alberta can say, listen, we've got 5 million bottles ready to go, but, but the feds won't fast track the approval process. So we can't get this into the hands of families and you have a sick kid and you perceive this now to be Justin Trudeau that's standing in the way of your kid getting that bottle of Tylenol and Daniel Smith's able to say, we did everything we could. We got 5 million bottles sitting in the airport, uh, you know, sitting there waiting to go in, in one of the, the loading docks. I don't know. Those are my initial thoughts. This is a developing story. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, what on the text line, that's a great handle, says there's a North American shortage of kids Tylenol, not just Canada. I'll take your word for it. I'm sure that's probably accurate. Says all medications require Health Canada approval. And uh, I, I don't think, 
I, I don't know if you can get into situations where you start relaxing the approval process. I don't like that, no. That, that sounds to me to be no. uh, a dangerous exercise. It's a dangerous precedent to set. Um, yeah. So anyway, so th- those are my initial thoughts. And I always want to be candid with you, but I'm, but I'm sure I have some more reading to do on it. And, and, and I'll give you my word that I will. Uh, Donna says, I've got a, a just over a, Donna just got, got over a three week cold. Says, boy, was I ever stressed out. My ribs hurt so bad from coughing. I thought I had pneumonia. You look at what's going on. Uh, and Sapri and I talk about this a little bit. You can check out seriouslypod.com. Uh, the strain that, that uh, children's hospitals are feeling across the country right now. It's just uh, unbelievable stuff. We're not out of the woods, not even close when it comes to kids' illness. Okay, so these are a lot of things that can be a bit of a gut punch. Everybody ready for some fresh mountain air? Anybody Please. ready to like take a second? Please. Everybody ready to, to just leave the reality of the news cycle behind and maybe visit Jasper National Park? Here's some great ideas on holiday gifts for the mountain lover in your life. My Jasper Memories is presented by Tourism Jasper every Wednesday here on the show. So here are a few things. If, if It's getting down to crunch time now. you got a few weeks until stockings are going to need to be stuffed on top of what Santa's going to bring. You want something perfect under the tree? What about a surprise? Pack somebody's bag, pick them up at work, and off you go for the weekend. For a friend who loves a deal, may we tell you about the Marmot Escape Card. Right For your friend that loves riding Canada's best snow, snagging an amazing discount, almost as fun as hitting the slopes. I mean, maybe not entirely, but you can help them out with a Marmot Escape Card. It gives the recipient half-off lift tickets all season long. Yeah, no blackout days, no lines, all happiness. And with Marmot's unique parking lot layout, which I love, you can ski straight back to your car to enjoy a packed lunch uh, because the chalets do have limited capacity regulations. There's nothing like skiing. You can literally... Right into it? You ride right to your tailgate. Burger and a beer. Oh, it's the best. (laughs) It's the best. Okay, so what about for the gear junkie? Uh, There's a new adventure equipment. Like experiences are, of course, fabulous gifts. Don't get us wrong. But there's something undeniably fun about getting a gift card that you can use to get a new toy to play with, right? And what's more fun or what's more healthy for that matter uh, than great gear that's going to help with future adventures? Local Jasper retailers stock everything from rugged garb fit for backcountry adventures to fashionable Rocky Mountain attire like John wears with his plaid, you know, (laughs) to top of the line ski gear. You can get ready to venture in style and you can learn more about that at Jasper.travel. They've got a things to do link. Then you can go shopping virtually before you head out to Jasper and visit the stores yourself. And for the nearest and dearest, I mean, these ones we're talking about, these are the gifts, the ones that people are going to remember for a lifetime. Nothing says romance or quality time with the family like an evening spent relaxing fireside with a glass of wine, delicious comfort food, and a board game or a book. Jasper National Park has four winter cabin properties You can check them out all at jasper.travel. Check out the blogs link there. If you're staying, by the way, in particular at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, you can also inquire about a winter sleigh ride. There is nothing like it. Make your Jasper memories today, starting with a visit to jasper.travel. And of course, when you're out there, if you're posting on Instagram or Twitter, we'd love to see what you have. Your videos, your photos could be featured in a future edition of My Jasper Memories here on Real Talk if you use the hashtags My Jasper and Real Talk RJ. Presented every Wednesday by Tourism Jasper. 
Do you have a favorite board game? Are you a board game guy? I'm not a big board game guy. I've got a friend who I met in Kelowna. Shout out to Mark D. He's Mark a radio D. personality. And he just... Uh, <laughs> He has got just every board game imaginable and yeah. the ones I've never even heard of. And I went over and just looked at his shelves one day. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I was like the game of life or like yeah. Operation. This guy's <laughs> operation. into like the Settlers of Catan, all the complicated ones where you got to like be explained for 30 minutes before how to play. And yeah. yeah. What about you? Well, Carrie and I, we, uh, we like there's there's nothing like it. I don't think we do it enough and we want to do it more. We always resolve to do it more. But uh, a night of board games like either just as a date night, the two of us, mm. or having a crew together, I think is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's the big ones like Risk. I've never really got into that one, but I love like Monopoly is a lot of fun. Cheating. Well, I kind of <laughs> like, I actually suck at Monopoly. I'm, I'm just not very good at it. Because um, I think it re- reflects my own sort of fiscal management shortcomings. I was just gonna You know say. what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, like there are some there are some great board games out yeah. there. And then but one year for Christmas, we said, well, let's let's beef up our board game collection. So why don't we gift each other a board game? Mm. And we we got new ones. I went into a store, a store that specializes in it. And I was like, there's all the classics that everybody plays all the time. Like uh, as a family, we played a, a wonderful game called Scattergories for mm-hmm. years that like brings me back. Oh, my gosh. There's so many amazing memories. But we wanted to get new ones. And we discovered the, the new ones kind of suck. Yeah. I think the classics are classics because they're classic. They're incredible. Yeah. I, I know a... I sound like the stay off my lawn. <laughs> we used to walk uphill both ways to school guy, but yeah. that's the impression. I, I enjoy the themed ones, though. Last year, my wife got me the, the Game of Thrones board game. Ooh. You know, I'm obsessed with Game of Thrones. So that, that was pretty good. But then those, y- you play them like twice and wa- the show's over. You're like, okay, this is done. But you're yeah. right. Like Monopoly, all those classics, they, ne- they never die. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. shout out Scattergories. I would say that's probably my favorite. That's like my favorite. It's my favorite one. Yeah. And uh, and if you know, if you if you fancy yourself to be a bit of a wordsmith, um, the, the 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 most wonderful Scrabble? moment in Scattergories is when you are accused of cheating oh, yeah. by a family member with a great deal of emotion <laughs> in the plea that they're making to the collective, and then they must acknowledge upon upon presentation of receipts. <laughs> That you are not cheating at categories. In fact, you get your points. I'm talking like specifically to my brothers and sister right mm. now. We have a lot of fun over the years. You know, these conversations wouldn't happen on Real Talk without the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And they want to remind you right now about a couple of things. Number one, no matter what you're celebrating this holiday season, no matter what your family tradition is, no matter what your religious conviction is, no matter where you're going to be or who the crowd is, a DQ cake is always a perfect fit. You can enjoy layers of celebration with a DQ cake that makes any occasion a happy occasion. You can go to dqcakes.com right now. Use the drop-down menu to find the locations in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, in Edmonton, or Sherwood Park on Baseline Road. And don't forget as well, the Dairy Queen gift card is a perfect stocking stuffer so the dilly bar or buster bar lover in your life can stock up their freezer (laughs) projecting what your christmas gift is going to be this year john i know it our friends at eden landscaping they use the winter months to make sure that all the reports are pulled the designs are made the plans are drawn up the construction materials are ordered so when the snow melts and the ground thaws hopefully in march maybe april 
They'll be able to break ground on your brand new project, bringing your outdoor space to life. Check out their portfolio today at landscapeedmonton.ca. Yesterday, we featured the natural beauty in Balmoral Heights. If you're more of like an ultra-modern person, you like that clean and modern landscape design to maybe match your new dream home, check out what they did, sourcing materials from a concrete contractor to create custom structural and architectural concrete items. They had a a carpenter bring cedar from Vancouver Island. They consulted a nursery to use local lush plant design. I mean, all of the highlights at landscapeedmonton.ca. You can get your quote from Mike and his team. You let them know you heard about them on Real Talk. If you're going to be looking for a new ride, you know, the next snowy highway trip, the next roadie with the family, you don't want to be slipping and sliding, joining everybody else in the ditch. Why not check out the new lineup of Jeeps, including the classic Grand Cherokee and that very popular Grand Wagoneer at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They've got some great year-end sales specials on right now, including up to $5,000 in total discounts. $5,500, in fact, on some of the Grand Cherokee lineups. You can find the pre-owned and new specials featured online. And, of course, the Ram 1500, North America's most decorated pickup online at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And our friends at Local Environmental Services want to remind you that we've got Trash Talk coming up a little bit later on this week. On Fridays, per usual, at Local Environmental Services, they've been keeping it local for 25 years, still family-owned. You can learn who is local. Check out their core values online at localenvironmental.ca. You're going to be like, core values for a garbage and recycling company? Yeah. Why? Because they're a family-owned business. They know you care about your family-owned business, and they believe that the communities that they operate in deserve better. Check them out online today at localenvironmental.ca. We've got kind of a cool show coming up tomorrow, mm-hmm. and, and and the way that it's worked out, we wanted to give you a heads up, Real Talkers. We're going to be talking to two of our audience members through yesterday's show. You see Métis Sharon in the chat from time to time, right? Well, she's at COP15 in Montreal. She's presenting on Métis traditions, so she's going to join us from Montreal. Plus, Aggie... You've seen her checking in from the Czech Republic. She moved there from Canada a year ago last week. She observed that anniversary, and it gave her lots to think about. She's a politico. She has a great deal of conviction on some of the issues that we've addressed here on the show. We're going to go deep with why she made the move, what she's learned, and, of course, you know we're going to be keeping it real. That's coming up on Thursday's show. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.